Hello and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. My name's Pip Adam. Um, yeah, um, hello. Yes, this is episode um, 112. I forgot what I was doing for a minute there. There's all sorts of activity happening outside my house. I was thinking, is it too loud? Who knows? I don't know. I'm going to keep going. Um, it's it's the new me. So yeah, this is episode 12. Um, it's the third episode in our um, Beyond a Joke series. In my Beyond a Joke series. I'm just sitting here by myself in my bedroom. Um, and yeah, um, so this series we're doing for the whole year. Um, I am talking to some incredible people um, about things that have made them laugh. Um, or still make them laugh. Um, this in an attempt to, um, well, first of all, to try and bring some lightness to the hideousness that is the world, um, but also um, mainly as a way into having a conversation about um, how they make things and um, how we listen to things and maybe making and listening and um, watching are one and the same. So in this episode, um, which is 112, I think I already said that, is beyond a joke, episode three, um, I get to talk to Jordan Hamill about um, a poem of his. It's a poem called Death Coach. Um, yeah it's an incredible poem I was very grateful when Jordan suggested talking about it um, yeah that's amazing so um, I was very lucky because I got to talk to Jordan on the eve of the publication of his amazing book Everyone is Everyone Except For You um, it's this astounding book I just um, cannot recommend it highly enough um, it comes out on Dead Bird Books um, another thing that I cannot recommend highly enough um, Dead Bird Books have published some of my favourite books over the last few years including Please Call Me Jesus by Samuel Tukane um, yeah it's, it, they do amazing stuff and this book is no exception um, Jordan's an amazing poet and I enjoyed talking to him about poetry sort of for the page on the stage in all its guises um, Jordan is also an amazing editor so yeah it, it was a fantastic conversation and I hope you enjoy it um, the other great thing is I we are putting this out on um, Friday the 13th Ba-ba. Um, but um, the reason um, I didn't know it was Friday the 13th but um, we are putting it out um, I am putting it out um, keep saying we it's only one of me um, and I thought I'd put it out on Friday just so that there's heaps of time for you to listen to this and then get along to these two amazing events that Jordan is doing next week so on Wednesday the 18th of May Jordan will be at Unity Books here in Paul Nicky um, in Wellington and yeah it'll be amazing highly recommend you go and then if you can't go to that because you're in Tamaki Makoto on Thursday the 19th of May um, if you're in Auckland you can go to Soap and um, hear Jordan read and launch his book and he will be with Dominic Hui and Samuel Tikani I would not miss seeing those three people in one room for anything so yeah highly recommend it um get to those events what I'd recommend the best way of staying in touch with times and that kind of thing is probably to um, get yourself over to Jordan's Instagram page so um, there is a link to that um, in the newsletter um, you may have already um, registered what do you call it subscribed you may have already subscribed to the better off red Substack, and if you have I'm very grateful um, thank you very much and thank you to the people who have been able and willing to make a financial contribution that is very helpful too um, so yeah thank you for subscribing um, if you haven't subscribed please do um, it's I'm really enjoying um, being a little bit more um, 
cognizant, is that the right word? I feel a bit more in community thanks to the um, Substack newsletter. I sort of feel like it's actually going to people and yeah, I really love that. So yeah, here you go. Here's the episode. This has been one of the more um, burbly introductions. I am sorry. Um, yeah, but yeah, I really hope you enjoy this. I, I love talking to Jordan and yeah, it was fantastic. Thank you very much. I'm just going to do a big clap so that I don't go everything at the same That's a tremendous clap. That's awesome. Um, hello, Jordan. How are you? I'm great, thanks, Pip. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you so much for coming out. I oh, really course. appreciate it. Yeah. Gosh, you know, it's very nice. We've been recording these a little bit over um, Zoom and stuff, and it's really nice to be face-to-face with someone. Yeah, That's absolutely. Awesome. Um, we usually start off the um, podcast with me asking if you'd be willing to introduce yourself. Would you be willing to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Jordan Hamill. Uh, I'm a poet, amongst other things. Uh, I'm originally from Tutihi Omaru, Timaru, down south, now living here in Porneke. Um I have a book coming out uh, May 18th from Dead Bird Books called Everyone is Everyone Except You. I shouldn't have had to look at the book to realise the title, but we'll get there. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that, that's me, more or less. Oh my gosh, I think looking at the cover of your book is really important. Mm. I, I never remember anything about anything. It's very good. Um, <laughs> now, I um, the, we are slightly different today. Normally, I just give people carte blanche to bring something along that makes them laugh. Yeah. But I asked if we could talk about a poem in your book because... Um, yeah, I just, I thought it would be great and I love this book so much and I want to talk to you about it. Yeah. So that's where we got to with that. <laughs> and I wonder, um, would you be willing to read the poem that you chose? Yeah. Maybe to start with. Absolutely. That'd be awesome. I'd love to do that. Uh, so the poem is called Death Coach. I'm just rifling through. I think it's my first time reading from the book as a physical thing. <gasps> so that's really exciting. Um I had that moment earlier where I was like looking for the poem for reference on my phone and like in some sort of like old PDF and then I saw my hard copy. I'm like, I could just use that, I guess. <laughs> anyway, it's called Death Coach. Why is it so hard to be universally beloved? My schemes always end with the body, something so bloated with yearning and grotesque need, but I shouldn't take it so personally. I shouldn't bargain for attention. I should focus on others. A handsome young priest once told me in a fake JFK accent, ask not what prayer can do for you, but what you can do for prayer. I didn't get the reference. He said, those who lead are those who serve, and I was born a vessel. What can I say? I'm a people person. They fill me up. Can't put a shirt on round here without someone pinning their hopes to it. But it's my fault. I don't see potential in others. I smell it a bodily fluid oozing everywhere. It isn't finite like phosphate or kindness. When it spills, it has to go somewhere, and I was born a vessel. It's freeing being something for others to pass through and leave a mark like a human guest book. I'll make your time here more memorable. And why be adored when I can be relied upon? Is it the same thing? Does it matter? Should I just give up and become the world's worst life coach with an airbrushed persona, a robust social media presence, snazzy aphorisms and rhetoric? You can't always finish what you started, but what you started can finish you. Have you been having a hard time finding yourself? Have you been infected by the auras of impermanence? Have you thought about giving the void a chance? I'm talking about life, people. Stand on your desks, call me your captain, call me father, mother, redeemer. Don't call me on weekends, but come Monday, let's unleash our inner surrender. Let's really separate body and mind. 
I once cried to a handsome young priest that living felt too constant, something I could barely hold, and would it be better if I just let go? He didn't give me any answers, but he added me on Facebook. So that's why I'm here now. Who needs Facebook priests when you have me? Good shepherd of pointlessness, giving you all a forehead kiss and a referral code, waving you out to sea as your fear escapes you, clinging to land, pulling with purpose. It has to go somewhere. Thank you so much for reading that. Oh my goodness, I it's oh, I feel like I'm I'm going to have the privilege of a private reading. It was very <laughs> great. Um, so when I asked you um to choose a work from the yeah. book, you were relatively quick in choosing this one. Mm. Um, and I'm just wondering what about it sort of um led you to decide that this would be a good thing to talk about when we're talking about um humor and jokes and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, I think I chose this one, one, because of recency bias, and it's probably one of the last poems I wrote for the book. Oh, wow. Um, but I think predominantly because I, th- I think it sort of tries to balance sort of some really outrageous, outlandish sort of m- moments and jokes within it while also sort of undercutting it with a sort of a sadness or a sort of devastation. And that's kind of what I've tried to do a lot in my work, and I think this is just like a very clear example of me trying to sort of walk that tightrope and pull it sort of both strings at the same time. Um, so I thought it could be an interesting one to talk about. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is one of the joys of the book is um, the way those two things sit, mm. um, like not in opposition, but almost in this, uh, that th- you made that great um, uh, sort of shape with your hands. Mm. And yeah, it definitely feels like one gives strength to the other Absolutely. in a really interesting yeah. way. Yeah. Can you remember anything about writing it? Uh, like, um, do you remember, um, I guess what I'm asking is, did I'm always interested where things come from, and yeah. I wonder was it was it one line or yeah? I think I can't remember if there was a line, but I remember when the idea sort of popped into my head a little bit, or like sort of some of the maybe like the character almost or the speaker. And because I went to law school in Otago many years ago, um, and there's been like a funny sort of trend of my cohort of law students down there who went to work for big corporate firms that have now left these corporate firms to become life coaches which I think is <laughs> bizarre to say the least and like there's sort of all these privileged 30 year old white people who have started their own sort of businesses and they're all like kind of you know sort of like yes queen independent woman or sort of you know men in business and it's all I, I think like the language and the sort of marketing around it is just the funniest thing I've ever seen and a lot of my friends will sort of send each other all these life coaching things and so I wanted to play on that but sort of by ramping it up to something I guess as absurd as possible and I guess that's where the sort of the idea of a death coach thing came out of it but then the more I thought about it and I sort of wanted to ground it in something to do with my own experiences in religion and something where I'd also sort of recognize that kind of messaging or that sort of encourage like sort of following I guess or that sort of devotion maybe that sort of these people are trying to encourage in their own thing. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes so much sense to me because it's one of the things that I'm super, um, like, interested in at the moment is that that I don't even know what the formal rhetorical term Mm. is for that kind of language, but that language of, it's so similar, like Mm, the life coach and um, religious promise. You know, like, they both seem to want, the best for people and mm. well you know like it, it's complicated both are complicated but both are complicated absolutely yeah. but it does seem very grounded in language both those yeah. things eh? yeah and that's sort of where they get a lot of their power from and it is complicated because 
while there's a lot of room for bad faith actors in it, you know, you don't necessarily know whether the people are coming to it in good terms, whether they actually want to help people or whether it's purely... And I think there's a lot of room for sort of fun and silliness within that. I don't know. Mm, Yeah, I totally agree. Like, I think I always... This always happens. I start talking very seriously about (laughs) things, but actually there's there's a lot of fun to be had in it because I think that there is... Because it is this language and we recognise it, it's almost like... um, I remember Rachel O'Neill saying this profound Mm. thing to me about three years ago that all humour is cultural. You know, there Mm. needs to be an understanding of the paradigm to undercut the paradigm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a very smart thing she said. Yeah, that's, she's, yeah. she's a very smart person. She is. She is. <laughs> they are incredible. They, yeah. We love them. Yeah. Um, I One thing I was going to ask about is mm. if the poem, like when you were writing it, did you think it was funny? Like the, I, I know that's a weird <laughs> thing to ask. No, no, I don't think so. But um, is there a rhythm to humour that when you're in the flow of the poem, you think this needs this now, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think I didn't necessarily write the whole poem and be like, this is hilarious. Um, but I think like there are parts of it where I'm like, okay, now I'm going to lean into maybe the voice of the speaker for like comic effect and then maybe try and sort of judging the rhythm, like undercut that and sort of try and punch the reader in the face with something a bit more serious or pull the rug out and sort of trying to manage those rhythms, which I think is just as important as the actual content in terms of eliciting that response. Um, yeah, and it's it's a hard thing to do. It's easy to do when you're sort of speaking or on a stage, but to do it, I think writing, I think is so much harder. Um, yeah. This interesting idea of like the, the speaker of the poem or the voice of mm. the poem, um, which is another thing I'm really excited by in poetry, I think, because is it true to say, and I may be completely wrong here, is mm. that, as a writer, you're doing this dual duty, this kind of almost dual persona of the voice of the poem, but also the writer, if you know what mm. I mean. Like, I guess, yeah, like, yeah, and I guess in like narratology, like when I'm thinking of novel, there's kind of like the author and then Absolutely. there's the there's narrative. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, do you think that is also true for a poem like this? I think so, yeah. I think there is sort of a, that duality of. There is, like, you've got an imagined created speaker, sort of like fiction, but at the same time it's grounded in something. Mm. Um, and it, it's sort of a relationship I always try to navigate with my work where, because I write a lot of confessional stuff, and some, but some of it's not true, or some of it's true, but half true or whatever. And so it, it, it's a hard thing. And then there's also, I think with poetry, there's like an assumption, unlike comedy, you go to a comedy show, you don't expect the anecdotes to be true, whatever. But um, I always find that really interesting with poetry. You just kind of take it as this is true. And this is in poetic form. But, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't think... I think it's an interesting expectation. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I so, I so am interested in this as well because I feel like so often... Um, yeah, like when mm. I read a poem, I see a speaker and I assume that it's the writer. And I yeah. think that more and more I'm trying to teach myself out of that mm. a little bit. And I guess... Um, like, sorry, I'm all over the show with the questions. No, 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 all over's good, yeah. Oh, good, Let, let's, yeah. let's go all over the show. Because <laughs> I was just thinking, like, having seen videos of you, um, mm. you know, um, what do you call that? Like, is there a difference between spoken word and performing poetry? That's a good question. It's sort of one of those semantic things that different people will use different terms. I had a really interesting chat with Carrie Rudzinski recently, who's an amazing poet from America, lives in Auckland now, incredible sort of spoken word slam poet, but... 
she, and she's editing for AUP an anthology of performance poetry, she's <gasps> called it. Wow. Yeah, with, with who else? Uh, Grace Taylor. Wow. Um, which yeah. is going to be amazing. That will be so cool. Um, and, and she deliberately, or they deliberately chose not to use the term spoken word for the, and they wanted to use performance poetry. Mm. And, and her rationale was sort of in America, they don't have that term. It's not a thing. It's just performance poetry or it's slam if it's a competition. Mm. And I, I don't know. It's, 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 yeah, it's sort of hard to, I don't know, it's all poetry to me, so I just try to use that as much as possible, but yeah, it's yeah, interesting. Yeah, because that's what I thought, what I thought was really making me think when oh. I was watching those videos of you um, performing the work mm. is this idea that voice is often so important in it, yeah. and often you are performing as a different voice outside of yourself, yeah. but it's your body on stage. Absolutely. And I just wonder, um, what's that experience like? Do, like, have you... This is so. Um, oh, this sounds like a dumb question, but no, no. have you done drama and stuff before? Like, is yeah. does it feel like putting on a different persona when you perform them, or does it feel more like um, something else? It's. I don't think it's a dumb question at all. It's oh, a good question. Um, I, yeah, I did drama through school, all that sort of thing. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, I, I think it's. It doesn't feel like a different voice, but it feels like maybe a sort of twisted version of your own or an exaggerated version or like a curated version in a way. And it's the sort of thing where, like when I was doing predominantly spoken word and really sort of really channeling into that, I would watch a lot of different sort of like public speaking or comedy or even like I would watch like legal closings and sort of st not steal, but like sort of look at their mannerisms, look at their rhythms, look at how they talk. I remember watching like Hannah Gatsby's specials or watching all these different things and taking little parts from everywhere and sort of thinking how that could possibly serve a poem and how it might change it or how it might, you know, whether that could be something that I could use or sort of and how that would look coming from me. Um, yeah, if that makes sense. It uh, really, really does yeah. because I think that that's something I always miss in, um, in stand-up comedy is mm. I forget that there's a body on stage and often the bo I was just watching um, Alison Wong's special, you know, like oh, yeah, when, nice. the, when yeah. the body is on stage, mm. you know, like... It, you, it sort of all comes together in this wonderful thing, but it suddenly occurred to me that as well as thinking about every word, there's probably thoughts about every movement as well. Yeah, and I think to an extent there has to be... Authenticity is a weird word, but it has to come back to you in a way, or else people won't believe it. Yeah. So it does have to be sort of... You have, you have to sell it in a way that's it's coming from a genuine place or a place where, you know, you believe it yourself and so the audience can believe it and be there with you mm. or else it's, or else it's, you know, it won't work and it's the worst feeling in the world. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I think the best performers can do that, you know, um, or they're just naturally, you know, amazing, funny people and that just translate perfectly onto stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I was listening to something yesterday about the anti-method, you know, like the... Mm. Um, you know, as far as acting goes, I, I didn't know this, but um, people like Tom Cruise and Nicolas Cage, they spent, they never ever tried to become a character, you know, like Tom Cruise spent years looking himself in the mirror to see what he looked like, you know, like yeah. manipulating his own body to be in that role. And I just think, yeah, there was something very appealing about that to me. Yeah, as opposed to the sort of method acting, Jared Leto trying to become the Joker sort of thing, <laughs> which is all, yeah. That's really interesting, and like, because I have a weird relationship with how I look and I think everyone does and mm. I'm like, I don't really know what my face looks like I know what a mirror version of it looks like and I know that's really different yeah. and I'm 
Yeah, so that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it kind of, I don't know, like, I just, I'm a bit... Tom Cruise just staring at himself in the mirror. <laughs> I'm a bit obsessed with Tom Cruise. Yeah, I'm going to that Nicolas Cage movie tonight, and I'm so excited. I'm oh so God. excited. It yeah. is just going to be so good. Because I think, you know, like, getting back to your work, and especially this poem, that yeah. there's something so interesting about the movie that you're going to see tonight, because, you know, just that idea of um, ourselves and a version of ourselves. Yeah. I loved what you said about that, you mm. know, like that... Um, you know, like it's it's a it, it's a heightened version or a different version or a yeah. you know, and I think that that's another thing that um, I find myself slipping into, which I'm trying to train myself out of, <laughs> is that when I read a collection of poetry, I'm like, mm. oh, this is this person mm. in eternity yeah. forever. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I guess that must be something interesting about writing it down as opposed to performing it for a set yeah. group of people. It is, yeah, that's a really different thing. Um, but I think like, I really like the idea of sort of you playing with the idea of the self and the speaker because then you can get really meta with it. You can get, yeah, you can do a lot of fun things and sort of twisting expectations with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love it, I love mm. it. Um, I wanted to talk to you about, um, and you, I mean, answer this as you will, <laughs> obviously, but I wanted to talk a little bit about laughing at God. Yeah. And I guess I, I realised that when I wrote that question, I also meant laughing at sex or laughing at death yeah. or, you know, all those big things that mm. kind of are powerful, I guess... Yeah, so I'm just wondering, like, we can start with God, about sure. laughing with God, like, um, with those... La- with God, <laughs> laughing with the gods. It's like a Christian me, yeah. comedian, laughing with God. <laughs> laughing with God. I just wondered if there is something innately funny about the concept of God. I think so. Yeah, like, I do too. But. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and again, I think it comes back to the Rachel O'Neill thing, like, it's all cultural, and like, it's the paradigm, and, you know, I grew up Catholic, I'm not Catholic anymore, but so I find it hilarious if nothing else because of one the core idea but also all the everything around it all the things built up around it and the sort of yeah I don't know I think it's hilarious um but at the same time I don't think like laughing at it necessarily takes away the power of it for some people or anything like that I think it's just another way of looking at it Hmm. yeah because that is one of the things that I found so incredible about the collection is that there's this way of, I don't even know how to describe it, and I'll describe it badly, but there's this way that these things are brought into the light of humour, mm. but they they don't seem to be degraded, if yeah. you know what I mean. And I just wonder, Absolutely. yeah, how do you do that? I think, yeah, I, I think it's something, I think it's important, like especially when it comes to something like God or whatever, where, you know, you don't want to be... the the thousandth sort of, you know, young atheist online who's like, ha, people who believe in God are stupid. And I don't, you know, think that at mm, all. Mm. And so I think if you need, if you want to look at those kind of things and how they've affected your life or how you, you know, want to write about them, you need to treat them with a care. Like you can still, it's not about really poking fun at them. It's just sort of, yeah, I think there needs to be an element of care about it or else it's kind of like, why are you doing it? Or what do you, what's the purpose there? I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I really like what you're saying. Because yeah. I was thinking like in this poem, like, um, one of the things that I found quite affecting, you know, like in, in that way that it brought up quite a lot of emotion for me was this idea that um, we are humans and we're not a lot of use sometimes. You yeah. Know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like even no matter how close we are to God, mm. yeah. in inverted commas, whatever that God is that you believe in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like we're, we're not 
and and that's what I think is so interesting is that in a lot of ways there's a lot of tragedy in mm. the lack of help, but also it is quite funny as well. Yeah, yeah, and we we aren't a lot of use sometimes, but it, it's nice when we can be useful to other people, you know, in some sort of way or form. And like, yeah, I don't know. It's it, yeah, I'm tr- I don't know what I'm trying to say. Um, I I just been thinking the last couple of weeks, you know, the whole arise thing, and like. That, which is, I think, I think that sort of wave of Christianity is both the worst and the funniest mm, uh, mm. because of its garishness, because of its sort of, it feels like a mutation of an old sort of way by taking all the worst parts of it. And I, I remember the one time I went to a, uh, one of those mega churches to, I was uh, teaching at the National Youth Drama School, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. which was amazing, amazing experience. And, and because of uh, various like logistical issues, they had to perform in the big super church mega church in the, in the town um, and I remember we did like the poetry class all these amazing kids got up and they did like performance poetry and it was cool uh, and then there was a drag class there and that was amazing and that was that felt like quite a defiant sort of thing um, and then I was I was rifling through the library after and I found all these sort of pray away the gay books and I, I stole them out of there and I was like no then can burn these but that just walking into this mega church and seeing a basketball court was just the funniest thing I'd ever encountered in my life having grown up in sort of old dusty Catholic churches I'm like what the fuck is this <laughs> it was insane yeah. it, it really is and again I think that that's what's um, cool about talking about this poem in, in relation to that is that there really does seem to be well there is this fantastic you know the, the reason that I find it funny is because of that fantastic almost business, mm. um, you know, like that, um, you know, like, um, it's almost like the secret meets church yeah, meets sort of um, business. In- intersection you know. of like capitalism and church in, in, a way, in a very odd way, yeah. Yeah, which I think it's probably always been there, but there's just something about, um, yeah, and, and that's what I was wondering in here is that there's a few places where one thing is put next to another. And I think you talked about it before, you know, this idea that um, we sort of, um, like, we have this stanza which has the joke about, um, you know, call me father, call me mother. Well, I think it's a joke, um, Mm. but don't call me on weekends. Um, And then straight after that, we've got quite a, you know, like a a beautiful Mm. um, thing it stands there, which sort of starts with um, let's unleash our inner surrender. Let's really separate body and mind. Yeah. I once cried to a handsome young priest that um, loving felt too constant, something I could barely hold. And would it be better if I just let go? And mm. those two stanzas sitting next to each other. I'm just wondering if you've got any thoughts about that decision to yeah. sit those two things next to each other. Yeah, absolutely. I think that sort of turn. And those two stanzas is probably the heart of the poem, mm-hmm. in a way. And I, and I think what I was probably thinking when I wrote it was sort of that the poem sort of starts out with sort of sort of back, kind of a bit grounded, sort of observational, and then goes into this character, sort of leans into the into the silliness like quite quite a lot. Uh, it sort of really ramps up with the sort of you know the speech uh, to to the height of I guess yeah zaniness, and then sort of undercutting it by sort of bringing it back to the self and bringing it back to that experience and yeah sort of that thing of trying to pull the rug out from under the um out of the reader you know that was definitely the decision that was made there um and like it's a hard thing to pull off because it can if it doesn't work it can sort of feel really contrived and 
So I hope it works. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, like, the genius of it is that it is a rug pull. Because I was trying mm. to think, how do you do that turn? Like, I always think of vehicles, how do you turn yeah. a vehicle? And there is, like, there's that really clever, um, you know, like, um, I don't know what you'd call it. Like, it's a bridge between the two stanzas, you know. But come Monday, let's unleash our innocence. You know, like, yeah. there's this incredible um, control of the the situation or control of voice yeah. or something, which I think is really clever. Mm. Yeah. Because I think, you know, that's what I was thinking. Like, when I first read it, I, w I was like, how, how, did, how did Jordan <laughs> manage to do that? Like, it was like, I was just, I was laughing at kind of yeah. a joke, which is kind of, um, you know, it's not an unfamiliar joke, mm. you know. No, like it's, it's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I absolutely adore about it yeah. because I think, because don't you think there's something interesting about jokes that they can be reused? Oh, absolutely. I think it's brilliant, yeah. But how does that even work? How does it stay funny? I don't know. It's, I guess you put it in a new context or maybe you just, maybe there's a familiarity about it you really like. And like, I don't know. I wonder if, do you find this with like you watch old comedy or like you sort of listen to maybe really old broadcasts or I don't know, you read old books even and it's just like, you know the joke's coming and you can still, like, you know, you see it coming, but you're still like, <laughs> yeah. and maybe it's like the memory of the, the humour is the funny part. I don't know. Yeah. I, what really, do you think? I really like that idea about the memory of the humour. Yeah. Like, and I do wonder if it's around rhythm as well. You know, mm. like, um, I don't know, like, just that idea of release. It's like, oh, I, I know that a laugh is coming and I would really like to laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would really yeah. like this right now. <laughs> Bring that on, please. Yeah. I please, please. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I was wondering, mm. I, this is just a straight out question. Yeah. Do you think that humour can be a compliment? Yeah, I think so. What, what do you mean? Can well, I, can I what I mean, again, I think what I'm talking about is like in here, mm. like there is the laughs, but it's never um, pointed, if you know what yeah. I mean. Like it's never trying to drag any, anyone down. No. It's kind of almost saying... Um, like to go to love, say, yeah. it's almost saying love can stand up to being laughed at or Absolutely. something like that. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I, I think it can be a compliment. And again, it's one of those things where, you know, you can see humour uses and you see humour uses an attack so often in everyday life. And that's, you know, m almost always terrible. Um, but I think it can be a compliment. I think especially with bigger things like love or, you know, even people in your life that, Maybe you have that relationship with where part of it is you, you know, roast each other for lack of a better term. <laughs> and there's, you know, there's affection in it and there's like, there's, un there's unspoken boundaries and there's sort of, yeah, I don't know. I think it sort of says a lot about maybe your relationship with that thing or that person um, and about how you feel comfortable talking about it or with it or whatever. I don't know. So yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. What do, what do you think? Well, I just, I think this is one of the things that I love about your book. Um, I, like I love a lot of things about your book. <laughs> this is one of the things that I just thought was incredible mm. is that really what I expected to be reading was just like that joke you said before, you know, like people that go to church, but stupid. Yeah. But that's not what this is. No. You know, this is saying, this is the experience of being um, these are laughter is part of that experience, mm. and here's a way of like looking at it all. You yeah. know, like it's yeah. just oh, it's just so good. Oh my gosh, Do, is it like I was just thinking a little bit about again performing things live, mm. and like I've seen a video of a couple of these being performed, but I just wonder. Do you think that hearing the reaction of humans in a room yep. has helped your poetry in that way? 100%. Um, absolutely. I think 
I think, especially in the sort of performance space, or even if someone, if you, you read your poetry or whatever it may be, I think if you're not listening or not sort of taking note, then I think you're missing an opportunity in a way. Um, back when I was doing a lot more sort of spoken wordy, performancey stuff, or predominantly doing that, um, Travis, who's this wonderful um, sort of advocate of spoken word in Wellington, and he runs a lot of slams and runs a lot of things, he'd always come up to me and he'd be like, your poems have changed. Um, and I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I just notice, because he's, he's very perceptive, and he's seen them all a thousand times. He's like, I see you've changed these lines and all of this. And I'm like, yeah, I'm constantly working on these because, you know, it's like, I've had this reaction last time. I've, you know, you figure out what works, what doesn't. Maybe you've changed as a person, you want to change lines. And so I sort of see them more as living things as a way that can be then fed into from other people and other experiences. And I think that has really improved my like poetry, especially in a sort of performance space. Mm, yeah. yeah. And I, I just, I don't know, like the joy of that is, is just so... Mm. It just is so amazing. It, and that's, I guess that was something I was quite interested in as well, is just this relationship between stage and page, yeah. if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, definitely. What I think is incredible in the book is that it maintains so much mm. of... Um, yeah, it maintains so much of the rhythm and the the voice and the noise of um, mm. live, um, you know, spoken. And I'm wondering, do, this is another another question from a naive person. No. Um, is do you write them and then perform them? Do you perform them, perform them, and then write them? Does the written version that you learn to perform look different from mm. what might be published? Just those sorts of things. Yeah, I think for me it's sort of, it depends. Sometimes it's, I will just write to write because, of, you know, you have an idea and then you sort of, you can see it on the page. But sometimes maybe whether it's, you know, you, you sort of hear something in your head and then you maybe try and elaborate on what that might be. Like eventually everything gets written down in some way, mm, shape mm. or form, but not everything that I write is for to be read, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, and that, that was one thing sort of with writing this book coming into like you know first book first collection was knowing that I sort of have this kind of background and not just in spoken word but that I do have a big that's been a big part of my life and making sure that people realize it's not just those poems transcribed onto the page that this is a thing that lives in its own with its own purpose um for for this purpose of reading it and it being like a sort of finite solid thing because I can't go back and change these poems. No, <laughs> I can when I read them and I absolutely do. That that's yeah. I think it's really another interesting part of your question. Just like a lot of these poems or just any poems that I'm if I've written them a certain way, I will probably when I read them out now and then maybe tweak a word or two or just put it in like an affectation or a so I don't know. And that just sort of it's almost like a twitch where it just kind of happens naturally. Um, yeah, if that makes sense. Oh, I just, I love this idea that there's sort of, I'm thinking of um, everything everywhere all the time, but like that, yeah, that you oh know, gosh, so good. <laughs> so good. Oh. oh my gosh. Yeah, Haven't movie. we have a good couple of months? We um, really do with uh, movies. Gosh. It's just been fantastic. Yeah. But this idea that there are versions of it mm. that are living, mm. you know, continuing to grow, and Absolutely. then there's the version of it that sits in the book. Yeah. Because that was something I was wondering, like it must... Um, and, and I'm really, I love this idea that there are some that feel on the page-ish and yeah, some that, yeah. definitely. And I think it's an interesting relationship between stage and page. And it's something that I can rant about for hours. Because uh, it's kind of, I think it's a cultural thing again. Where like, in America, I think a lot of the sort of 
currently maybe the most famous poets, came up through spoken word, people like Denise Smith, Franny Choi, Hanif Abdurraki, people like that, who have then sort of transitioned and have written all these amazing books. Um, and that's sort of just an accepted thing and that that's quite a gateway for poets there. Whereas here, I still think, maybe it's because we're so small and it's just quite a small community, there's a real divide mm. like between spoken word poets and page poets and often I think the sort of page poetry community maybe disregards it or looks down. Less so now, I think, in our generation. Mm, 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 way mm, less so. And everyone's mm. so open. And I look at people like Freya doing show ponies and all these amazing things and there's so much beautiful crossover. But that I don't think that's always been there and I think it's still got a wee way to go. And it's one of the things that I've that's been like sort of my driving force has been trying to be trying to succeed in both so then hopefully people will see it and be like oh maybe there's all these ama- other like spoken word poets who can then because I think there are there's some amazing poets who like you see perform and you're like you should be the most famous poet in the country but you're not <laughs> you know and like and bringing them onto the page and bringing them into these communities I think is a good way of doing that and again like yeah show ponies has been really good for that and bringing in sort of unexpected people and yeah things like that anyway and I think and I think that is really interesting because I must admit that um you know, going back to the dark ages, yeah. you know, like when uh, when I was a poet in the 1990s yeah. and, you know, and was very much wanted to be, you know, a performance poet. Yeah. That was kind of my dream. And oh, like, I it just, oh, yeah. It's never too late. Well, yes, maybe. Except <laughs> for my anxiety. Um, but yeah, maybe. <laughs> Can I get up on stage with a, like, facing the other way? Um, but yeah, and I think that there was this difference, yeah. you know, like I um, sort of started that when I was hairdressing and then when I went to university, mm. it was very suddenly, um, yeah, there, there was, you know, oh, yeah. this is, you know, this is for one place and this is for another place. And Absolutely. this is what I think, I think you're right about show ponies like this, because mm. that's almost a move from poets you might associate with the page more coming yeah, onto stage. Yeah. And then there seems to be just as amazing sort of um, mm. freeway the other way, eh? Definitely. And I think with, although RIP, the New Zealand Festival, it was supposed mm. to happen, but with a sort of second crop which I was supposed to be a part of and was so excited for Freya was really good at sort of identifying like poets like Nathan Joe Dan Goodwin who are these amazing performance poets and sort of bringing them in now that Show Ponies has this place within the, and being like here are these yeah I don't know and I think oh it's such an amazing thing and yeah Freya's a genius but yeah and and I I thought one thing I was thinking, like just talking about the festival, mm. and um, it always feels too soon. But I was just <laughs> thinking <laughs> too soon. Yeah. But I was just thinking about, um, like, I was thinking about stasis mainly. Yeah. Like the wonderful journal mm. that you and Sinead Overby and who was your designer? Uh, Annie James, Annie amazing designer. Amazing yeah. designer. Mm. Um, and I just think about like. Do you think this is this feels like such a negative question? But do you <laughs> think that all of that rumble has been t- not so great for performance poetry, or do you yeah. think? Yeah, I think it's been a challenge. It's, mm. it's yeah, it's been a hard time, you know. Yeah. And that's that's for all artists, but I think especially people who, you know, who sort of live on the stage in a way. Um, it's just because it's one thing after another, and it's that sort of it's it's the, it's the roller coaster of it of being like maybe this thing will happen, no, it won't. Yeah, it's been really hard. Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a shitty time for everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think um that's what I think was so joyful about stasis, yeah. you know. And like, I do now. This is a question that probably needs a thesis degree of um, <laughs> like research. Yeah. But one thing I I was really interested in is like I'm really interested in um 
the degree to which work needs community, if you know what I yeah. mean. Like I, I don't, I'm not the sort of person that works best when I'm away from mm. life. You know, yeah. like I prefer to be sort of in it. And um, I wonder, did you notice anything different about the work that was created during isolation when with stasis or? Um. I mean, it's a terrible thing to ask because it's sort of asking you to make some sweeping yeah. thing. But no, I think it's I think it's an interesting question. Um, I think I guess like from my perspective, because of the stasis thing, like I got to read so much more because we got to read submissions, which is the best thing in the world, and you got to sort of see the full scope of it and what people were doing, and you know how people were reacting to the world in that time. I don't know if the work was different. I think there was more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people were more ready to, or people were more, more excited to both read it, write it, share it, just to, to fill that space that was being taken away from us in a different way. And that was really exciting. And that's what excited me the most about stasis and overwhelmed me the most about people's reaction to stasis and the work on there. Um, and yeah, but it definitely, like the two times that we sort of had submission periods, blown away by, by, the, by the quality of the work and the amount of work and the sort of diversity of work that was going on, um, not just in poetry, prose, essays, you know, all of that, I thought. And that was, even that's only, you know, a small segment of what was happening in the wider community, obviously, that's just what we got to see. So, yeah, I don't, we have, what do you think? Like, well, one of, the, one of the joys I thought of that um, period, which really astounded me, is mm. that, um, and I'm still kind of unpacking it, was yeah. that absolute rush online mm. like all of a sudden Definitely. you know the, everything was the, uh, the answer was put it online and then what I thought was interesting about stasis and what I enjoyed so much about it is it was that really old technology of reading words on a page mm. you know and looking at Absolutely. pictures on a page yeah. and there was something quiet about that and I, I, I was wondering if like this wasn't the case for me but I was wondering if you know the, the limited outward life maybe gave rise to greater creativity I don't I hate mm. to say that because now I'm just going against what I said before <laughs> but I did feel like mm. the work had something about it and it may have been my state of mind at the time you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah it's just like oh speak to me you exactly know, yeah yeah I'm, I'm ready I'm open I'm ready for like the universe to communicate yeah and I guess again like the thing that I also found interesting about it was that it's you know, like everybody was having a relatively similar situation. Yeah. Like obviously there were, you know, massive, you know, swings and roundabouts inside that. Absolutely. But there was this one thing that people mm. could kind of, um, you know, come around to, mm. to look at that. That kind of um, curatorial um, project, you know, like yeah. when you are, and I know that you do a heck of a lot in um, poetry communities and other ways as well. Mm. How does that kind of work play into your your personal writing? Mm. Like, uh, It makes it better, I think. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. It's like the more you get to read of other people's work or hear experience of the people's work or the more you have to, yeah, the curatorial aspect, like, with stasis and also like the climate change anthology, mm, yeah, those two things have made me like an immeasurably better poet. Just because you have to, re- it changes the lens which you look at things because you have to become critical of it, at, rather than just sort of letting it wash over you and enjoying it as you normally do with stuff that you read. Um, and so, which means you have to interrogate your own thoughts and feelings, which <laughs> can be hard. Um, so yeah, it's definitely like, and also just getting to work with other amazing, like getting to work with Sinead and, and then like getting to work with Becca and Essa and Eric on the climate change. It's like just getting to be 
adjacent and having all these robust discussions and arguments with other amazing poets, I think up, that makes you better as a result. Um, yeah. Because those conversations are often, I, I find that as well, like mm. having to, it's actually an exercise that um, we used to use um, in some writing workshops that we did where we would give people three poems and ask them to choose one of the three yeah. and explain why they liked it. And I think that, that's cool. you know, like not, I, I think, you know, obviously I wouldn't want anyone to stand in front of me and tell me why they hated my work. No. But, but, you know, there's something <laughs> great about that abstracted version where mm. you are exploring your own preferences, yeah. which I'm not sure we get... You know, I, I don't know. There's something really nice to sort of think about. What what is it that's speaking to me about this? Absolutely, and, and especially with poetry as like a medium, because it can be quite sort of unknown or ethereal. You know, there's elements to it where you're just sort of like, oh, I like it, but I don't know why, or there's a vibe to it. So really trying to pin that down, I think, can be so beneficial. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's. I mean, that I I guess that's what. Um, must be interesting about having work in the world as well mm. is that I don't know like there's instantly um, you know the, the, I'm, I'm thinking about that I speak you laugh or I speak you cry, cry or I speak mm. you know there must be something very interesting like is there what am I trying to say I guess what I'm trying to say is is there ever work written that you don't want anyone to read like is, is or I guess are there stages of the work that you know yeah, maybe stages. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. I think I'll rephrase that question okay. and say yeah, what yeah. I actually mean is, yeah. are you ever writing, like, I used to write thinking no one's going to read it. Mm. And that works to a certain extent, but it was a little, it wasn't so robust because I was just like, oh, no problem, no mm. ethics, I'll just write. But do you, um, the minute you put pen to paper, are you thinking about an audience or are, are you your first audience or how does that work? It's a hard one and it's something that I I don't really, I think it changes. Mm, I, I, mm. I argue with Rebecca Riley about this a lot and about what you should be, <laughs> who you should be writing for and if it's yourself, if it's an audience, if it's like one idealised version of an audience. Mm, mm. I think, for me, I th I'd love to be able to say I write for myself, but I don't know if that's true. Like, mm, mm. I think it's because of the way I am as a person and like, what happens in my head and like sort of, you know, anxiety and stuff like that. I'm always going to be thinking of the possible outcomes or the possible audience. And I think it's maybe trying not to let that sort of railroad the rest of the process in a way and just sort of being okay and comfortable, like acknowledging that, but then also trying to write what you want to write and using that, but not letting it completely turn your work into something unrecognisable or something that you never intended to be. Mm, mm. And I think I find that really hard because that's just my brain. But I think and maybe a lot of people do. I don't know. And I think, you know, whenever I ask these questions, I'm ask, I always, it's a, it's a dumb thing to do because I'm always asking something that feels quite, um, what's the word? Um, like it feels like um, something that's very automatic. Mm. I'm suddenly asking you know, to sort of put, pull that apart. And, mm. like, there's so many dimensions to it that it's oh, really... It's so good to, to pull it apart, it. though, and sort of unpick that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think, I guess also, like, this is uh, me, um, th this is a prejudice. Like, I, I sort of think, oh, someone who, you know, performs poetry in front of people must have a better idea of what will work and not work when a reader's sitting at home reading it. But is that a different experience? I think it's different. And I think, yeah, I think there's sort of different... That they're different experiences and like you see 
I think goes both ways where you can see people who can be amazing and performing but then you know they put it on the page and it doesn't work mm, and that's mm. and that's a shame or people who are brilliant writers but can't read their work to mm, save mm, themselves mm. Um, and so I, I think for me I had, it was like learning twice in a way um, and I think maybe the, the stage came first and then I sort of had to use that but also like kind of retrain and that's when I think like going back to what you were saying before about like writing in life and writing in community and that helps so much and like you know the privilege of being able to be in Wellington to be able to go to amazing events and you know uh, you know sort of workshops things like that to be surrounded by so many amazing writers who you know you can learn from either passively or help you or you help them or you grow together mm. that just made it so much easier than if I was writing from a shed in Greymouth alone I don't think I'd be very good um yeah yeah and that's I think yeah I don't know I I, I think I think the same about myself like yeah. I just feel like I'm just like a sponge. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, it's oh. great to be a sponge. <laughs> teach me, teach me. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really great. It's I great. I like and, it a lot. And, and, and I think it's a good time to be a sponge, both because of geographically, but also, like you are saying, with COVID and everyone sort of went online and everyone had a common thread that, that sort of became a forum, you know, which obviously online has its pitfalls for writing and for mental health and everything. But there are elements of it where it does unlock a certain community for you or writing or people and maybe you know you have access to them and they have access to you in a way that you wouldn't otherwise and that can be super super helpful I think. Because that is something that interesting that's happened eh? like it feels like I've never felt as separated from the world Mm. outside New Zealand but also you know I've never felt as close you know it's it's this very weird and I was just thinking about what you were saying about um, those lines like I, I sort of think about um, you know, other writers are coming to mind that have yep. had really good um, communities that are based in different countries, mm. which I think is quite incredible. Yeah, and amazing. It is, and it, it, even from sort of a voyeuristic aspect, you can see online in like, other countries or other communities, and you can kind of watch, you know, sort of how people come up through them. You can also watch them in fighting, whatever. You know, it's 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 a fun, interesting, weird time. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably get off Twitter and go outside. Oh, um, <laughs> really? Outside? Not so funny. Not so funny. No. Um, so I guess I was just wondering about this idea of jokes and funny. Yeah. And, you know, maybe the pressure to be funny. Yeah. I don't know. Like, um, is it something you enjoy writing? Like, do you... is is like and that's what I think about this you know this book is so many different shades of mm. you know emotion like it's just this most wonderful sort of emotional roller coaster through mm. but do you is it something you enjoy like do do you sort of I guess what I'm asking is and you do not have to answer this do you <laughs> think of yourself as a funny person yeah I think so I, I think it's it's, it's an interesting question because I think as a New Zealander we're sort of really primed to be like, no, I'm not funny. Yeah. But, <laughs> like, I, I think everyone's funny to an extent, you know? Like, even if, if it doesn't come across in their work, maybe their work is very serious or very sort of... But I don't... I don't know. There's, there's no one in my sort of circle of life who I'd point to and be like, they've never made me laugh in one way or another, even if it's not their sort of primary characteristic. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know. I like... I like making people laugh, whether mm. it's through reading or writing or just in conversation. Like that's what brings me joy, in a way. Or and it just kind of, I don't know. My, it kind of comes back to what we're talking about about like the big things in life and how you approach them or how you deal with them. And 
especially like things that terrify me, like the ideas of God or death or love or whatever. <laughs> like my reaction is to make a joke, you know, and that's a coping mechanism as well. And that's, yeah. And I think it's interesting, eh? Because like I've, I'm. This is what I'm sort of thinking about a lot at the moment mm. is that, um, you know, in various um, counselling sessions yep. I've been in, um, yep. people have said to me, "You're making a joke to deflect, or you're doing yeah. this, or you're doing that." Same. And sometimes <laughs> I wonder if maybe the joke is trying to communicate something that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think like that this is how I'm trying to get this across. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. like I think that I think that we maybe don't value it as much. You know, like Agreed. we say, it's like, oh no, we're laughing. You know, but I just think. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that sometimes, like some of the most profound things that have been said to me mm. have made me laugh. Mm. And yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's really cool that you're doing the series as like a way to sort of put a magnifying glass over a lot of that. I think it's really cool. And I, yeah. Yeah. I feel like by the end of it, I will find nothing funny. <laughs> yeah, you'll be done. You're done <laughs> be with humour. <laughs> I'll be done with humour. I'll be like, right, right. I have transcended yeah. to a different... Serious, different. serious writing only. Serious, writer serious writer. writers, serious writing. Yeah, <laughs> serious writers, serious writing. Exactly. Oh, yeah, that sounds like that's saying, what is it? Hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did, you, did you watch Arrested Development back in the day? Yes. Oh, was it... Uh, what's the mother's name? Jessica Walters' character, uh, oh, Lucille. Remember. Yeah. When she when she reads "Hurt People, Hurt People," but she reads it with the wrong intonation, and she really likes it as like, as like sort of an uh, encouragement, like "Hurt people, hurt people," <laughs> and it becomes a new mantra. And I really like that. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I think this is the other thing about humor is mm. that it takes wordsmithing, eh? Mm. Like it, it's yeah. not. That's what I think is so brilliant in here. Like the way that you, um, sorry to go back again to that line, but the way you pull off, um, you know, don't call me on weekends mm. is just chef's oh, kiss. It's just, this whole book is That's just, really nice. I just enjoyed it so much. <laughs> oh, like I am so happy to have it. Because like I say, this is the other great gift about having it in a concrete kind of form mm. is that, you know, like the other morning I woke up at three and I was like, oh, I might read some more of Jordan's. Oh, Very yeah, cool. Yeah. So yeah, it's just magnificent. It's just oh, magnificent. Thank you. Um, just to finish off with, yeah. I'm asking everybody this question yeah. and um, you can answer it however you want. I'm just asking questions about how we continue to write and find space for writing. Yeah. I guess I'm asking about your writing practice, sure. you know, like whether there's days set aside or you know, you're someone who can scribble on the bus or whatever. Mm. But I guess I'm also wondering about financial stability and that kind yeah. of thing. And yeah, I just wonder if that. So I will ask the question, how do we as writers sustain ourselves? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> it's a, yeah, I, I knew this question was coming and I've still been struggling on an answer. I, it's, it's hard. I, I just keep thinking about, so the other night, um, you might have seen this tweet from Ash to Vita Jane, I'm not sure. Uh, so the other night was the Featherston Booktown program launch. Mm. Uh, so Ash and I drove out for the night. Um, oh, nice. really nice. Not for the night, we came back, but yeah. um, went out, you know, went to the dinner and all that. And Featherston, lovely, amazing, supportive community, but a lot of well-to-do older people there, as mm. you expect. Mm. Um, and we were talking to some older man um, who was really really nice really lovely and he asked Ash and I whether we'd make a living off our poetry and then we just started laughing at each other <laughs> and then and I, then I got your question and I'm like oh yeah um, it's hard it, it, it's a hard it's a hard thing um, I, I feel very lucky that I have like full-time employment and mm, that I can do mm, that mm. Um, in terms of like writing it, it, it I'm really bad at routine and I'm really bad at boundaries so I burn myself out really quickly and it's something I've constantly struggling and I'm continuing to struggling with and that's like 
work that's writing that's like social engagements feeling like I need to be everywhere all at once sort mm, of thing mm, mm. Um, and so I yeah like I think trying to set aside time is something I've been trying to get better at and I still find it hard um, I was really lucky to be at the Michael King house as a residency recently which is amazing and it was like my first residency but it was like the first time I've ever had two weeks just to write and do nothing else and it was it, I just freaked out for a couple of days because I didn't know what to do I'm just like this is this is un- this is not real, this, um, and I, I think hopefully I got some stuff done. But yeah, that was it, it's a different mindset, and I don't know. I, some people can be really amazing at just sort of writing in the margins of life and figuring it out, or just being very, I guess, like authoritative or very like sort of certain about what they need to do in order to sustain themselves or to get by, and nothing more. I guess. I don't know, I think I'm rambling. Um, no, I, I'm really relating to a lot of what you're yeah. saying. Like, I, I had a similar experience when I went to Michael King. Like, yeah. I was just like, how do right what? Yeah, and, and exactly. Yeah, yeah, it just... And um, I think that that's one of the tricky things mm. for me about it is that often it is like everything all the time now will give you a week, you know? Yeah. And, and that I find really... That, like swinging yeah. around like making the practice fit any kind of situation can be really tricky I think yeah. and I, I really hear you about um, yeah what, what I heard you may not have said no this, no no but no. what I heard you know that stuff around self-care is so hard it's because really hard. Yeah. you know this is I don't know like there, there is it is such a strange vocation because you always well. I don't know many people that don't need another job. No, God no. And I love my other job. Yeah, I love my yeah, other absolutely. job so much, and I love all the other things I do. Mm. And I think that they make the writing better. Yeah. And it's it's just interesting. It's interesting, and it's sad that you know people, especially like people like yourself, who are incredibly you know amazing and accomplished, and have to have not maybe you want to have another job, but you know that that there isn't space for writers to sort of write and do not much else because mm. of the world we live in or society that we live in. Um, I was talking to my hairdresser the other night. Yeah. He thinks the solution is NFTs. Yes, I like this. Yeah, I, yeah. I have no idea um, how that <laughs> would work. But um, I said to him, oh, imagine if you had a book where it was, it was like reasonable to read, but then when you had the NFT, it was like, you know, something else happened. Oh, that would and be cool. Yeah, it would be, but I don't really yeah. understand NFTs. No, neither do I. Yeah, yeah. I always think I always think there's like a mountain of money somewhere. Yeah, that we just need to find. Yeah, it's just yeah. like looking in the wrong places. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. Maybe your book will be the mountain of money key. Maybe. Oh, God. I doubt it, but you never know. <laughs> Poetry books, famously profitable. Famously profitable. <laughs> um, Can I ask about your cover? Yeah, this please. This beautiful image. Oh, I love it. Um, Where so does that come from? This was designed by, again, this kind of links in quite well to the idea of writing communities and online writing communities. So this amazing poet, um, he's from Texas. Um, he Matt Mitchell, genderqueer poet who writes um, sort of beautiful, kind of like, I don't know how to describe it. Sort of like, it's, it's like sort of, it's very Americana, it's very pop culture, it's very like envisioned characters and sort of, I don't know, it's beautiful. I'll, I'll give you his books to borrow, they're amazing. Oh, please. Um, and I sort of met him through online, I don't know, we just got talking and then started sharing work with each other, things like that. And um, he, he's also an amazing art, like collagist and artist. Um, he does all his own covers. And I asked if he'd do mine. Uh, and he was very kind oh, to do it. And I'm just so, so happy. I think it's beautiful. Um, yeah. Matt I, Mitchell, check him out. 
I just love the idea that this is kind of like a hyperlink to um, Matt Mitchell's work. You know what yeah, I mean? Like it is. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah, you click on this and you go to him. Yeah. It's just so great. Yeah. I love it. <gasps> Thank you so much, Jordan. Oh, thanks, Pat. You're it's amazing. so nice. Thank you for your book. Thank you yeah. for talking to me. And um, have a lovely day. Yeah, you too.